Before we start this week's episode of Nordic True Crime, we would like to give a big thank you to our first patron. Thank you very much, Cynthia Cooper. It's very much appreciated. If you too would like to become a part of Nordic True Crime, then please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Nordic True Crime. Arboga, which lies in the county of Westmanland in Sweden, is a relatively small city with a population of just 14,350. The town itself is known to have existed since the 13th century. In March of 2008, an incident will take place in Arboga, which will shock the city to its foundations. An unbelievable act of evil will take place. As incredible as it may sound, this terrible crime will be based on one simple human emotion. Jealousy. This is Nordic True Crime. Emma was a 23-year-old woman who was a resident of Arboga. She was separated from her partner, whom she had two children with, Max, who was three years old, and Saga, who was a year and a half. During her spare time, Emma enjoyed chatting online with her friends. One of these friends was Torgny. After chatting for a period of time, this friendship began to develop into something else. Torgny didn't have any children of his own, but he really took a liking to Emma's kids, and together they seemed to be getting along really well, enjoying the company of each other. Emma's daughter Saga was born with a disability She couldn't process solid foods and had to be fed through a tube on a daily basis. This didn't put Torgny off and he gladly stepped up helping Emma with Saga in any way he could. It didn't take long before they all moved in together into their perfect little house. Soon after they had moved in, Torgny 
started to get a feeling that something wasn't right. Some strange things started happening around the house. Late one evening, they could hear a banging noise coming from outside the house. They go out to check, but don't find the source of the noise, thinking that it must have been caused by the wind or something like that. One day, when the kids were with their father, Emma and Torgny were lying in bed, having a lazy day. Later, when they went downstairs, they noticed that the front door was lying wide open. They had no idea how this could have happened, but eventually brushed the thought off, remarking that they need to start locking the door. Monday, the 17th of March, 2008, started like any other day. Torgny was on his way to work, and Emma was on an errand in town with Max and Saga. When they returned home, they eat lunch together, and the kids went to the living room to watch a children's TV program. Emma was chatting to her sister, and the computer about babysitting when suddenly the doorbell rings. Emma got up to go and answer the door. When she opens the door, there is someone standing there. Someone who has the darkest intentions imaginable. At quarter past seven that evening, Torgny returns home from work. He opens the front door and the first thought that crosses his mind is, what kind of game is this? He thinks this because clothes are scattered around the hallway and he sees Emma lying behind a big basket. But his initial thoughts of a game quickly desert his mind. Emma's hair is completely black, black with thick blood, and it is visible that her head has been badly beaten, which would later be revealed to have been caused by a hammer. He then sees the kids lying a bit further into the room. They have big cuts and lacerations to their heads. Torgny's head is all over the place and he can't really grasp what he's seeing. He is frantically trying to find a logical explanation as to what has happened. He thinks that this must be due to something falling down and landing on them. They had been talking about put an extra screw in a big mirror which was hanging in the hallway and Torgny believes that it must have been this mirror falling down and shattering 
which led to their injuries. He would later say that he can't remember anything else about the children, apart from the fact that they were all breathing. His mind goes blank due to shock, but he does manage to call the emergency services. When the ambulance arrives, Torgny is standing outside his house speaking to the emergency dispatcher. The medics rush inside the house. The hallway is covered in blood. Emma is conscious but is making a moaning noise whilst twisting and turning in excruciating pain. But the ambulance crew is not getting any verbal response from her. Max and Saga are both unconscious, but they are breathing, so the medics are trying their best to carefully rush them out to the waiting ambulances to take them to the hospital. They wrap them up in blankets and carry them outside, knowing they can't afford to wait another second if the children are to have any chance of surviving. They then place Emma on a gurney and take her out to one of the other ambulances. Suddenly, Emma sits up and lets out a heartbreaking scream. When the police get there, they ask if the house is secured and it is at that moment that Torgny comes to the realization that someone actually did this to his family. He is, by this time, covered in blood. The blood is all over his hands and face after trying to help Emma. It is around this moment that the police begin to carefully watch Torgny. They ask him who could have done this, but Torgny says he doesn't know. They put him in a police car, and he is refused permission to go with the ambulance to the hospital to be with his family. They suspect that he has killed his family, and he is taken to the police station for questioning. After the police interview, Torgny's father picks him up to take him to the hospital. During the drive, the news comes on the radio. The top story that evening is the attack on Emma, Max and Zaga. But Torgny doesn't really understand what the newsreader is saying because she says the children are both dead. He thinks they obviously must have been misinformed because surely he would be the first to know. It is at this moment his mobile phone starts to ring. It was Emma's friends asking if the news was true. He also has several reporters calling asking him for a statement. It wasn't until Torgny arrived at the hospital that he was told by a doctor 
the terrible news that the children didn't survive the attack and Emma was fighting for her life. She had severe internal bleeding and they had to operate on her head due to the heavy blows she had received. She was now in an induced coma. The police changed their plan of action. They now believe that the killer was Max Ensaga's biological father. He is soon arrested. But it turns out that he has a solid alibi and is subsequently released within the maximum 24-hour holding period. The police then receive a tip from one of Emma's friends. She tells them that they should be looking at a woman called Christine Schürer. In 2006, when Torgny was 26 years old, he was becoming tired of his life, always on the move and with no family of his own. He decided to take one last trip before looking to settle down. So he bought a ticket to the beautiful island of Crete in Greece, where he would spend a week enjoying life. One morning during breakfast in the hostel he was staying in, he met a woman. She introduced herself as Tina. Her full name was Christina Schürer, and she was born in 1976 in Hanover, Germany. She had previously been an exchange student in the USA and had also studied in Oklahoma for a while. Since then, she had traveling around Greece, working in different hostels in Athens and now on Crete. They were immediately drawn to each other. Torgny was really attracted to her lust for adventure and was fascinated by her. He would later describe her as a very calm, collected and intelligent person who very rarely got upset over things. They spent every day together for the remainder of Torgny's trip. When it was time for him to fly back home to Sweden, they decided to keep in contact via email. They wrote to each other often, and it soon became clear that this might be more than just a holiday romance. They just couldn't seem to stop thinking about each other. So together, they decide that Christine should visit Torgny in Sweden for a couple of weeks, which she does. But after her visit, Torgny began to have second thoughts about the relationship and quickly realizes that it's not going to work. During this time, Emma and Torgny had already been good friends for a while 
and are chatting online with each other almost every day. He tells her everything about Christina. Emma got the impression that this was only a holiday romance, which probably wouldn't last for long. However, this thought isn't shared by Christina. She emailed Torgny, saying she wanted to come to Sweden again to meet him. He replies by sending her a text message, saying he doesn't want to see her again, but that he hopes they can leave it at that on a good note. In January of 2007, he receives an email from Christine saying that only kids and idiots break up with someone via text message. She goes on to say that she's got a secret she doesn't want to share with him. She also says that she just recently got discharged from the hospital where she had a sister removed. She keeps telling him that she wants to visit him again to collect some clothes which she forgot and to get some proper closure on the relationship. But Torgny doesn't want her to come and tells her this. Eventually, she tells him that she is going to Sweden with some of her friends and asks if she can just stop by and collect her clothes. Torgny caves in and says she can come by just to get her things. She shows up alone and is very quiet. She collects her belongings and leaves. Torgny hopes that this is the last time he hears from her and goes to work. But the next day, he gets a phone call. It's Christine saying she is parked outside a castle and that her wallet has been stolen. She also claims she can't remember how she got there. Torgny gets in his car and drives to help her. Her rental car is covered with mud and Christine is sitting behind the wheel of the stationary vehicle, looking dazed and confused. She claims she can't remember anything. She can't even remember where she had been driving. He gets her in his car and drives home to his house. She then tells him that she had been trying to commit suicide by drinking a whole bottle of liquid Valium, but it obviously hadn't worked. Torgne then calls her friends in Germany, explaining the situation, and they get together and purchase a new plane ticket so that Christine can go back to Germany where she could get the help she needed. She spent the night on his couch and the next day they head for the airport together with some friends of Torgny who helped with the rental car he found her in the previous day. They drop her off at the airport and drive home. But Christine never boarded the plane. She didn't fly back to Germany until the next day 
when one of her friends managed to rebook her ticket and meet her at the airport. Some time later, Van Torgny moved in with Emma. Christine moved to Sweden to study, but she soon dropped out and, according to friends, started to change. She started drinking and sitting in her apartment, reading and studying Torgny's blog, a simple, everyday blog detailing what is happening in his life. She reads that he just moved in a new house together with his new family. She then decides to send Torgny a letter. A letter which said she had given birth to a son who she named Jonas and that Torgny is the father. She goes on to say that she had to give the boy up for adoption because she couldn't bear to be around someone who reminded her so much of Torgny. He shows the letter to Emma. She is skeptical as to whether this is true or not, but says that if there really is a child, then she wanted to help him take care of Jonas. Torgny sends an email to Christine asking her where she had given birth to the child, and not long after, he received an email from a Thomas Emmerich, the adoptive father. He said that Torgny should stay away from Christine because she's not well and that all future contact should only go through him. Torgny replies saying he wanted a paternity test and if he is the father, he would be more than willing to take care of his child. But he never receives a reply to this email. It will later be revealed that the email that was supposedly from Thomas Emmerich was actually sent from Christina's IP address and neither Thomas Emmerich or the child were real. When the police started to investigate Christina Schirrer, they discover that her mobile phone had been in Arboga the night of the murder and the following day in Germany. After a search warrant is carried out with the help of the German police at her friend's apartment, which she had been staying at when she returned to Germany, they find internet searches made on Emma and her address. The police also asked the woman Christine had been renting a room from in Sweden if she, by any chance, was missing anything from her toolbox. And after checking it, she says that her hammer was missing. The police now have enough evidence to have Christine extradited from Germany and she is subsequently arrested as soon as she gets off the plane, setting foot on Swedish soil.
the police can prove via surveillance cameras that Christine had been in Arboga on several dates, including the day of the murders. She admits being in Arboga on the times that they can prove she was there, but she says she was only hiking in the area, but not anywhere near the house, and she, of course, had nothing to do with the murderers. When Torgny is told of this, he realizes that the strange sounds he and Emma had been hearing at the house, as well as finding the front door wide open, was more than likely Christina. The thought that she had been there watching them, planning her next move, sends chills down his spine. The police can quickly prove that Christina's version of her whereabouts in Arboga isn't true. The time frame didn't add up. It was also proven that the shoes she claims to be wearing during these hikes didn't have the expected wear and tear they should have if her story was indeed true. The shoes looked brand new. After 10 long days, they manage to wake Emma up from her induced coma. She was, of course, very confused. She wonders where she is and she can't remember anything. The police had instructed Emma's family not to tell her anything what had happened because they wanted her to recall whatever she could remember without any outside influence. This leads to Emma feeling very frustrated and lonely. She feels like her family is lying to her and she doesn't understand what's going on and why she has to speak to the police. It becomes clear that Emma doesn't seem to remember anything and she is constantly asking where the children are. It becomes harder and harder for Torgny to try and hide the horrible truth from Emma and he eventually begs the police to tell her the truth about her children, which they eventually do. However, they don't say how they died, so Emma believes that it was something she had done to cause their deaths. So not only is she trying to handle the shock of finding out that her children are dead, but she is also trying to get her mind around the fact that this could have been her fault. It's almost too much for her to bear. Emma is taken to the morgue to see her dead children. She didn't want to go at first, but Torgny convinces her to do it, something she is later grateful for, seeing her children one more time. At that time, she still didn't know how they died, and she doesn't understand why their heads had been wrapped up with only the face visible. 
Emma's memory is by this time starting to return in flashes. Small fragments start to come to her, reminding her what happened that day when she opened the door. A woman was standing outside saying, Hi, I'm Tina. And the next thing she remembers is the woman trying to force her way in and hitting her on the head. But Emma can't remember anything about what Christina did to her children, only what she did to her. On the 29th of July 2008, the trial of Christina Schirer began. Up until that point, Emma had chosen not to see any pictures of Christina because she wanted to make sure that she kept the memory image intact. She wanted to be sure it was the same person she could remember standing in front of her who was brought to justice. So when the trial started and Christina was brought in to the courtroom, Emma turned her head and looked at Christina for the first time since the attack and the memories came flooding back. Emma totally broke down and let out a devastating scream. The trial had to be postponed for a few hours before commencing. During the whole investigation and trial, Christine didn't show any sympathy to what had happened to Max, Saga and Emma. And she continued to deny that she had anything to do with the murders. Despite this, she is convicted of the murder of Max and Saga and the attempted murder of Emma. She is sentenced to life in prison and expulsion from Sweden. She appeals the sentence, but it is unsuccessful and is moved to a prison in Germany where she will serve her time. The devastating sorrow after losing Max and Saga really puts a strain on Emma's and Torgny's relationship. Emma never in any way blames him for what his former holiday fling had done, but it becomes apparent that they have completely different ways of dealing with their grief. Torgny wants to hide away from the public eye, but Emma uses the media as a way of handling her sorrow. She does several interviews, something Torgny doesn't want to participate in, and after many fights, they eventually realize that they have to let each other try and work through their pain in their own way. And with this realization, their relationship grows stronger. After some time 
Emma falls pregnant, and they go on to have two children together. Even though Christine was sentenced to life in prison, she will most likely still be released one day. In Sweden, prisoners that are sentenced to life can, after serving 10 years, apply for their sentence to be converted to a specific amount of years, the minimum time being 18 years. If the application is approved, it is also custom that the prisoner is released on parole after serving two-thirds of the sentence, as long as the person in question has shown signs of improvement both in behavior and remorse. This applies to all convicted criminals serving time, with only a few exemptions. On average, of all the prisoners that are convicted to life in prison, most are released after 16 years. This means their life sentence was converted to 24 years and that they were released after serving two-thirds of their time in prison. Emma knows that her children's killer might be released one day and she might be coming after her even though she is forbidden to have any contact with her or even enter the country. But she is determined to try and live her life to the fullest and not to worry about what the future may hold. Today, Emma and Torgny live with their two kids in a secret location. They have told their children everything about what happened to Max and Saga, and they have also visited their graves. They have shown them photos of their brother and sister and told them what they were like when they were alive, making sure they are still part of their family and that they will never be forgotten. I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted, True Crime, Domestic Violence. We'll investigate one case of family violence each season using academic research to interpret the events so that we can become better advocates. Join us as we spotlight the death of four-year-old Militia Gibson from her stepfather's abuse, delve into her family situation, break down the trial of her parents, and examine how her murder in 1976 led to changes in social service departments around the United States. Is there something we can learn about family violence through examining her murder? 
I think there is. She wasn't the only one in the house who was being abused.